Will you turn your Bible, please, to Joshua chapter 5. Joshua chapter 5. Thank you for that great music this morning. And we are indeed standing on holy ground. Beginning in verse 11, Joshua chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. And they did eat of the old corn of the land on the morrow, after the Passover, unleavened cakes and parched corn in the selfsame day. And the manna ceased on the morrow after they had eaten of the old corn of the land. Neither had the children of Israel manna any more, but they did eat of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. And it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, there stood a man over against him with his sword drawn in the hand. And Joshua went unto him and said unto him, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? And he said, Nay, but as captain of the host of the Lord am I come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and did worship and saith unto him, What saith my Lord unto his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said unto Joshua, Loose thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy. And Joshua did so. When I went to Wesley Chapel in London, and I stood in the place where John Wesley had preached the Word of God, before I went into that pulpit, I took my shoes from my feet, for I realized I was standing on holy ground. And today we stand on holy ground as we approach what God said to Joshua. Remember that for 40 years, the Jews had been in the land of the wilderness. They had wandered and wandered and wandered because of their faith failure at Kadesh Barnea. All that generation of faith failures died and were buried out in the wilderness. And Joshua and Caleb led the people of God down to the edge of the Jordan. And God said, when you go into the Jordan at flood tide, the waters will recede. You'll go across on dry land. And they did so. And in the middle of the Jordan, God said, you pick up 12 stones and take them to the other side and erect a monument. And when your people in the generations to come shall say, what mean these stones? You say, the God of our fathers led Israel across the Jordan River on dry land. And this is a monument to that wonderful miracle. And then Joshua stood over by Jericho. Jericho was the first city in the land of Canaan that was to be conquered. And the angel of the Lord appeared to Joshua. Sometimes it's difficult in the Old Testament to tell whether the angel of the Lord is an angel or whether it's the Lord himself. There are theophanies in the scripture. 
A theophany is the appearance of the Lord Christ pre-incarnate, before he came to Bethlehem, before he lived among men. He appeared from time to time. And Joshua, in bewilderment, said, Are you for us? Are you for the enemy? Who are you? I think Joshua stood with firmness. He was ready to fight. And the angel of the Lord said, No, I'm from the Lord God. And Joshua fell on his face. He said, What shall I say? And the angel of the Lord said, Take your shoes off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. Holy ground because God was getting ready to do something unusual that had never been done before. He said, I'm giving you the land of Canaan. All you have to do is go in and possess it. Forty years ago, I gave you this land and you sent some spies in and you came back and said they have walled cities and we're like grasshoppers in their sight, they're giants, and you had faith failure. I'm come to give it to you again. Now you'll have to go in and take it. Before, you could have had it without firing a shot. Now you go conquer the land. And Joshua knew he stood on holy ground. This is the same type of experience that Moses had. If you turn your Bible to Exodus chapter 3, beginning with verse 2, and the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. I know their sorrow. I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of Egypt. And Moses, I'm assigning you the task. And when God gets ready to assign a task, he does an unusual thing. With Moses, it was a burning bush. Moses didn't understand, and God said, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm sending you to do something about it. I want you to lead my people out of their Egyptian bondage. Years later, Joshua, the man of God, the one who had stuck by Moses. Moses had some children. They didn't care anything about him. They didn't try to get near him. When Moses went to church, they didn't want to go to church. They, they did as long as they were little, but when they got bigger, they didn't follow in Moses' steps. And when God was ready for a successor, he said, I want Joshua. 
the man who has stood by you and been on the mountain, been with you in all these things, he's going to be the leader. Joshua, the son of Nun, became that leader. And Joshua said to the people, sanctify yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And then Joshua had this experience with the angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord, the captain of the hosts of God, said, take your shoes off your feet, Joshua. I'm giving you an important assignment. I want you to go in and take this land. Now there are holy times in our lives. The Bible speaks of many holy things that occur. And sometimes we've lost the fear of God today, sometimes in the church. We just stand around and gab and gossip and talk about the things of the world. It's amazing what people talk about. We run and race. We do all kinds of things. And even when the organ starts playing, we still keep on talking. We forget we're in a holy place. This is none other but the house of God. This is God's holy place. And you are God's sanctuary. You are God's temple. God wants to do something great through you. And when I think of the holy places in the Bible, I think of the cross. The angel of the Lord of hosts was none other than Jesus. And Jesus, looking down the corridor of the years, looked to a place on Golgotha's hill where he, the Son of God, would die on an old rugged cross for my sins and your sins. There was none of the good enough to pay the price for sin. He only could unlock the door of heaven and let us in. Alas, and did my Savior bleed and did my sovereign die? Would he devote his sacred head for such a worm as I? But drops of grief can ne'er repay the debt of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. Jesus, the Son of God, died on an old rugged cross. And listen, when that's being talked about, when that's being embolized, when that's being symbolized, when that's being preached, it's a holy time. When Jesus died that day at Calvary, the Bible says the sun hid its face. And God turned his back because he could not stand to look on sin. And Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And in that moment, God the Son was forsaken by God the Father for the first time in all of eternity. And Jesus tasted hell for you and me. What is hell? We talk about the burning fires of hell, the torments of hell, and all that's true. But the worst part of hell is separation from God. No one in this room has ever experienced hell. You may say, well, all the hell we'll ever have is right here on the earth. That's a lie. No one has ever experienced hell until you go there. Hell is the absence of God. Hell is the separation from God. You haven't been separated from God. You may live like it. You may talk like it. You may walk like it. But you still have God's air. You still have God's sunshine. You still have God's rain. You still have a home to live in. You still have food to eat. You still have love. 
You still have a wife or a husband or children. In hell, you'll not have any of that. The chief emotion of hell is hate. And God hated sin. He hated sin. And he turned his back on it. And one day, if you go to hell, God will turn your back, his back on you. And forever and forever, you'll be separated from God and love and home and heaven and eternity. You'll be forever in the insane asylum of the nations, hell. And when we talk about it, that's holy ground. It's an awful, awful thing to go there. I talked to somebody this week about hell. They said, oh, well, I'll take my chances. All my friends will be there. I said, sir, you'll not have any friends in hell. They all hate you. The cross is a holy place. And when we come face to face with the cross of Christ, as it were, we need to take our shoes from our feet. We stand on holy ground. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. There's another holy place. That's at the altar of marriage. You know, marriage is a holy thing. A man and a woman ought to think a long, long time before they go to the marriage altar. They ought to weigh all the things and all the years ahead. Don't rush into a marriage because you have an ooey-gooey feeling toward each other or because you enjoy touching each other or loving each other or sleeping with each other. That's wicked and wrong. That is not a test of whether you love and whether that marriage will work or not. Marriage is a holy thing. And when you stand at the altar, whether it's before a justice of the peace or a preacher of the word, and you say, until God by death, I will be loyal to you. I will love you. You must mean it. I don't know how many marriages we've had right here. And they've said, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, for sickness, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until God by death shall separate us. And down the corridor of the years, two or three or four years, they are at each other's throat. They hate each other. They run down to a divorce court and get a divorce because they weren't holy when they got here. This is a holy place. The altar of marriage is holy. The Bible says marriage is honorable in all things and the bed is undefiled. That's God's direction. God's home in your home is a holy place. Your bed is a holy place. And I want to tell you the back of a car is not a holy place out there walling around in some park or out somewhere, that's not holy. Just ooey-gooey giving yourselves to each other, that's not holy. That's unholy. That's wicked. God said that's wrong. But when you come to God's marriage altar and you begin a life together with a promise, that better or worse, you're going to keep that promise and you're going to keep on keeping on until God calls you home. That's holy. And then there's another thing that's holy, the birth of a child. Probably no lady is in greater glory than when she's about to bring forth a child, a precious child, formed 
in that mother's womb because of the love of a mother and daddy. Not the lust, but love. And that birth that's about to take place, God looks down from heaven and he hates the sin of killing that little baby in the mother's womb. He hates the sin of letting that little baby come part of the way out of the womb and turning it around so that the head comes in last and they take scissors and puncture the brain of that little child and all the brains come out and the skull shrinks and they call that partial birth abortion and our government can't decide whether it's right or wrong. What a sin, what a wickedness. Birth is a holy thing. God brings life into the world, remember that. God is behind life. When you tamper with what God does, you have to be responsible for it. Take your shoes off your feet. This is holy ground, God says. Marriage is honorable. Birth is holy. The Bible teaches us that the new birth is holy. When you're out witnessing and you talk to somebody about Jesus and the Holy Spirit does his work and that precious one turns away from sin and turns to Christ, did you know that's not of man's will or his own desire? Neither by money or silver or gold or man's will, but by the Holy Spirit. The only way a person can come to Christ is through the Holy Spirit drawing him. The Holy Spirit must draw. And when the Holy Spirit draws, thank God. You know one of the blessings of being in a church service is all of God's people singing his praises, waiting for the Lord to do the miracle of bringing some precious little person into the kingdom of God. You see, when we get saved, we're all babies in Christ. We're all babes in Christ. We come into the kingdom of God as a little child. You try to come in as a big, big, proud adult, you don't get in. You come in with all the arrogancy and pride and say, well, here I am, I'm so-and-so, and I guess I'll join the church. You might join the church, but you don't join God. You only join God when you humble yourself and come as a little child in your faith. And that's a holy time. No wonder in the older days, people used to shout and praise God, and walk all over the building and saying, praise the Lord. You know what happens today when somebody gets saved? People at the back dart out the door, see if they can get to the restaurant first or get home, watch television or something. That's wicked. It's a holy thing when somebody comes to Jesus. When I got saved, my attitude changed. I grew up in a big church, Walnut Street Church in Louisville, 2,000 every Sunday in Sunday school and church. And when church was over, I don't know whether a bunch of them ran out the door or not, but I know that line went clear back to 3rd Street. People stood on the street outside, tried to get in line to come and shake hands with those that got saved. God's people need to do that. That's a holy time. There's another holy time. It's a holy time when God sends his angel to take us to heaven. 
Some of you have had the experience of standing by and seeing a loved one go down into the valley. Their breath gets less, and then they're gone. And their tears, it hurts. Even though you know God's will is wise and best, it still hurts. And it's a holy time. Some of you know this. 1993, my mother went to heaven. Some of our people were there with me. And as she started to go to heaven, we started singing. And as she went into her last breath, we were singing, we are marching to Zion. Come we that love the Lord and let our joys be known. Join in a song with new accord, sweet accord, and thus surround the throne. She went from songs here to songs there, a holy time. Then we prayed. We called the undertaker. Some people go out of the room. I didn't want to do that. I tenderly and lovingly picked my mother up and put her in that little place where they took her over to the funeral home. I felt a holiness. I got in the wagon that took her and went over to the funeral home and went back where they embalmed people. And I said, this is my mother. She's a holy woman. Don't you laugh and don't you make jokes in this place. There are some holy things in our lives. I want to tell you, in this room this morning, everyone here is holy. God said, set yourself apart to the Lord. You're his. You don't giggle and laugh and make jokes over the comely parts or the uncomely parts of your body. You say, praise God, he made me like I am. The angel of the Lord is watching. He's here today. He sang to Glendale Baptist Church and every person within the sound of my voice, put your shoes off your feet. You're standing on holy ground. What will you do with this Jesus who is called the Christ? Will you receive him? Moses, what will you do with what I'm telling you to do to lead the children of Israel of Egypt? Moses said, I'll do it. Joshua, what are you going to do with what I've told you to lead Go in and get and route the armies of the aliens and, and take over the land. What are you going to do? Joshua said, I'll do it. I wonder if there's anybody here today who will say, I'll do that for the Lord. I hear God calling me. Or God, God is speaking to my heart. God has his hand on my life. I want to offer it to him. God has saved me. I want to follow him in baptism. God is knocking on my heart's door. I want to give my heart to Jesus. God is saying to our church, go forward. Give your tithes to the Lord. Give your life to the Lord. Give your talents to the Lord. Give your all to the Lord. Are you going to say, I'll do it, Lord, or are you just going to laugh at him? Are you going to take spiritually the shoes off your feet and say, I'm standing on holy ground. I'll do it, Lord. Will you? Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. May we pray. Our Father, we thank you that we stand on holy ground today. And we pray that someone here in this auditorium or those who listen by radio will turn away from self and the toys of life and the sins that have so easily beset us and turn to Jesus. And let the Lord Christ be our King, 
our Lord, our boss, our director, our constant companion, our savior, until one day he says, well done, come on home. Have thy way in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What's the name of our song? 154, Jesus is tenderly calling you home. Will you come to him today while we sing, while we wait, while we pray? Will you let Jesus have his way in your life? God help you to do it.